Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Episode 6 of Inner Healing Intelligence. Today, we're going to be discussing how we can use mantras and a three-step strategy to start changing the way we think and the way in which we talk to ourselves. This is so important because how we talk to ourselves determines how we're going to feel and how we are actually even going to live our lives. So if you want more joy and peace in your life, then this episode is for you. Stay tuned. Welcome everyone. My name is Dr. Lori Little, and I'm a clinical psychologist, mindfulness coach, psychedelic therapist, wife, and mom. My passion is helping people learn to listen to and trust their inner healing intelligence, that part of us that is always moving towards health and growth. Ultimately, when we allow our inner healing intelligence to be our guide, we can stop looking outside of ourselves for answers. We can experience more joy, more peace, and more connection with others than we may have ever thought possible. Although it may sound simple, it is by no means easy. Join me as we discuss the many challenges and opportunities that listening to your inner healing intelligence can bring to your life. Hi everyone. Today we're going to be focusing on ways that we can change our inner narrative or in other words, the way in which we talk to ourselves. My guess is that some of the things that you tell yourself, you would never, ever, ever even dream of saying to someone else who you really care about. Many of the nicest people that I know are actually kind of mean to themselves. And in this episode, we're going to talk about ways that we can start changing these thoughts so that we are just as kind and loving and compassionate to ourselves as we are to our friends. In order to change any aspect of ourselves or our inner workings, we first have to identify it and understand it. One of the questions that I often get when we start to explore our inner thoughts and our inner workings is, why do I think that? Or why do I even feel that way? And sometimes I'll even get, I have no idea why I do the things that I do. These are all natural and valid questions. The question of why am I the way that I am is very valid and a very normal question. And there are actually many different types of therapies out there. And therapists get trained in all sorts of different perspectives and ways of thinking about human nature. And different therapists place different emphasis on the question of why am I the way that I am? My personal experience as a therapist, my opinion, is that spending too much time and energy on exploring why questions is really not that helpful. 
Yes, we can certainly spend some time and some attention to these why questions. I know that I ask myself frequently, why do I think this way? Why do I feel this way? There's nothing inherently wrong with asking those questions, and I certainly wouldn't discourage you from exploring that within yourself. The main point is that understanding why we do something or think something or feel something doesn't in and of itself lead to change. The most that we can get from understanding why we do the things that we do is kind of this sense of completion or just this sense of, oh, okay, that feels good. Now I better understand why I am the way that I am. But that in and of itself is not enough. You still have to change. You still have to have strategies that are going to change those parts of yourself. A common statement that you might have heard or that I like to tell my patients is that insight alone does not lead to change. If we are going to work on changing how we talk to ourselves, we could spend a lot of time better understanding how it is we got to be so mean to ourselves in the first place. And again, that would be a valid undertaking, and I certainly wouldn't discourage you from doing that. But the reality is there might be a hundred or 500 or a thousand different reasons why you talk to yourself the way that you do. And you could spend the next five or 10 years or more understanding all of those hundreds of reasons, but that's still not going to bring you any closer to changing how you talk to yourself. If your highest priority is just changing, just cut to the point and say, I may never know all the reasons why I talk to myself the way that I do, but my highest priority is learning to change that. Then you're really going to get the biggest bang for your buck, so to speak, by just going right to it and focusing on the change. So if that's you and you want to focus on the change, then this is what you want to think about. Let's break it down to three primary steps. The first step is just noticing your inner dialogue. Again, you can't change what you don't know. And there's actually a very real possibility that you talk to yourself in negative ways a lot more often than you are even aware of. Step one is to spend some time just observing without judgment how often you are being negative to yourself. I often encourage my patients to get a little journal or start a notes section in your phone and just make a check or mark down or somehow indicate to yourself every time you say something to yourself that is critical or mean or just generally not very kind. If you really want to be strategic, you could write down your negative thought itself or just the general theme. You might notice that some of our negative thoughts can come in these little buckets or themes like um, not feeling competent or intelligent, 
themes about people not liking you or caring about you or themes and fears of abandonment or people leaving or hurting you. If you aren't sure if there's a common theme, then the best thing to do would be to just start keeping track of the thoughts themselves, just writing down the sentences that go through your head. And over time, you'll actually notice if there are any particular themes. Therapy, we call the themes schemas. A schema is a very deep held belief that we can have about ourselves, we can have about other people, we can have them about the world. And you can think of a schema as like a colored pair of glasses. You know, if you put on a colored pair of pink glasses, then everything you see out there is going to be pink. It's the same thing with a schema. A schema is a way of viewing the world that in a way actually distorts our reality. So if I have an abandonment schema, which is a very deep belief that people are going to leave me, I'm going to perceive and think that other people are leaving me even when they're not. And a good resource that I like to share for folks who are interested in diving more into this topic is called a book called Reinventing Your Life by Jeffrey Young. Jeffrey Young is the psychologist who came up with schema-focused therapy. And that is sort of a book that's really meant more for lay people about what schemas are and how you can change them. Really take your time with this first step. You really, again, might be surprised as you start to notice how many inner negative thoughts that you had, many more than you may have thought initially. It's sort of like when you buy a new car and then all of a sudden you see your car everywhere on the road and you never thought you had noticed them before. It's really the same thing as you start to pay attention to all these negative sentences that are going through your head, you become more aware that they've been there all along, you just hadn't noticed. Once you feel like you are getting more skilled at identifying those negative thoughts and negative self-statements in the moment, and ideally noticing a theme or themes, you can then move on to step two. Step two is intentionally modifying the negative thought to a healthy, positive, compassionate, or at the very least, a more neutral thought rather than negative thought. For example, if you notice during step one that you often say to yourself something like, I'm so stupid, I can't believe I messed that up. Or even just, I'm so stupid, that was stupid. You know, that's that's a very harsh judgmental thing that you would never say to your friend. If your friend made a mistake, chances are good that you would never say to your friend, you are so stupid, I can't believe you messed that up. You would then modify this statement to, I am very smart and capable. It was a simple mistake that anyone could have made. Notice there's sort of a positive aspect. I am smart and capable. And there's also just a more neutral or validating statement. It was a simple mistake that anyone could have made. 
Another example, say you notice you often have the thought, they don't like me. Uh, I can just tell she doesn't like me. You could consider changing that to, I have no idea if this person likes me or not. I can't assume anything. Or something, this is one that I use a lot, I don't like everyone, so everyone doesn't have to like me. So again, this is kind of a neutralizing thought that it's not positive, it's just kind of a very neutral but not negative thought about people liking or not liking me. A more positive thought you could consider would be, it's okay that she doesn't like me, or even if she doesn't like me, it's okay because I do have friends who like me. Ideally, we want to try to find a thought that is believable. Notice that we don't necessarily want to change, quote, she doesn't like me to quote, she likes me. Because the reality is you might be picking up on something, some cues where maybe the person doesn't like you. So trying to convince yourself she does like me, you're just not going to buy that. We really want to focus more on trying to reframe it to something that eventually we could actually realistically believe. Spend some time coming up with realistic challenges to these automatic negative thoughts. Write them down. Say them out loud. We don't just want to think them inside our own heads because ideally we want to activate all the different parts of our brain with that healthy thought. So the action of writing down the healthy thought is activating the motor parts of our brain. When we say it out loud, we're hearing our own voice and that's activating again a different part of our brain. So the larger the variety of ways in which we can can express the new healthy thought, the quicker we are going to be able to internalize that and believe it. Step three. So now we have identified the negative thoughts. We're challenging them with more realistic and believable thoughts. And step three is to now, how are we going to practice this new thought? And ideally, we do this by creating visual reminders that help you continue to practice and rehearse the healthier or more neutral thought. And there are so many different ways that we can practice step three. You can use sticky notes that you put all around your house with the healthier thought. You can use a washable marker and write on the mirror in the morning. And that's a particularly good one. If you notice that you tend to have a lot of negative thoughts about your appearance or your body or your shape or your weight, writing on the mirror in the morning as you're getting ready can be a really helpful one. Create a collage or use some creative or some of your artistic talents if possible. Again, as we do more artsy type things, we're activating the different parts of our brain that are nonverbal. So the more creative and artsy that you can be with your healthier thought, the better. 
It is not going to happen overnight, but over time and with consistent practice, you will notice slowly how you can catch yourself quicker and quicker. You may continue always indefinitely to have that negative thought pop up. We can't really help it. It's automatic. It pops in there whether we want it to or not. And we may always have that. But what we can do is get quicker and quicker at identifying, hey, that wasn't nice. How can I be kinder and more loving to myself with a healthier, more compassionate thought? I personally love using mantras. And so a mantra is really just a statement. It can even be a word that you repeat because it's addressing a core issue within you. Mantras that I personally have used are words like, I am enough, I am worthy. Remember in the movie, The Help, where Viola Davis is looking at the little girl and she tells her every day, you is smart, you is kind, you is important. Those are mantras that she was really trying to get into that little girl. And we can do the same for ourselves. And remember that a mantra doesn't have to be a word. It actually can also be a symbol. For example, I am a huge music person. I love to listen to music and music is a big part of my self-care and a big part of my family as well. I love to listen to the lyrics of songs. There are some lyrics in songs that are very, very meaningful to me. One of my all-time favorite lines is from a song from the Eagles in their song, Already Gone. And the line is, so oftentimes it happens, we live our lives in chains, and we never even know we have the key. And that line, that lyric, is so profound for me personally, because it speaks to all of the ways that we limit ourselves all of the ways that we sabotage our own joy, the ways that we keep ourselves stuck because we blame others uh, and we imagine that somehow we can't get out of our current situation. So it's a very liberating mantra and it's also the concept of the key then has become my mantra. I have a tattoo of a key on my ankle. I have key jewelry. I have key pictures around my office. And it's just a symbol that helps to remind me that I am responsible for my own peace and joy. I encourage you to think about a mantra, either from a song or a movie or even something that someone once told you, anything that you truly want to believe. One of my dearest and oldest friends told me when my kids were little, embrace the chaos. And I have never forgotten that. It has been profoundly helpful for me in times when I'm feeling overwhelmed and in times especially when I had little ones around and felt very, very overwhelmed. That mantra, embrace the chaos, was something that I used frequently to help me be more present and not fight uh, the chaos that was around me. 
So if someone has ever told you something that has been really helpful, maybe a therapist has given you a one-liner or something that you really, really felt was profound for you, that can be a mantra. So think about statements that you truly want to believe. Again, you don't have to believe it yet. We just have to want to believe it. And with time and practice, you can absolutely change your inner dialogue so that you will talk just as kindly and compassionately to yourself as you do to the people that you care about. I sincerely hope that this episode has been helpful to you. I would love to hear what mantras or statements or healthy challenges do you use that helps bring you just a little bit more peace and joy in your life. You can share with me by going to my website at laurielittle.com and letting me know. I hope you have a wonderful week and I will see you in the next episode. Take care. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to learn more, you can reach me at laurielittle.com where I share additional free resources and lots of information. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean so much to me if you could write a review and share it with a friend. See you in the next episode.